Jay right in your face. Welcome back to episode number 14, Danny Green of the Fadeaway Podcast. I'm your host, Fatty, alongside me today. We're going to have a nickname today because it's a, it's going to be a brighter episode. Hopefully, yeah. Terrence Zaitis, how you doing, bro? <laughs> <laughs> That's awful, bro. Come on, man. That's what you could come up with today? I Man, I... I just I don't know I'm running out of I'm running out of things but Zade is not a common name in the NBA I'm sorry <laughs> no I don't think there's ever been a Zade in the NBA yeah I don't there's been like one Arab shout out to Abdel Nader on Abdel the Nader, o- on yeah. OKC rotation Egyptian guy bro that's that's our man's right there so uh, shout out to him uh, welcome back to everybody I know our last episode was a tribute to uh, the Bean himself Kobe. so it was a little bit of a of a rougher episode for us but we're back. Uh, today to bring uh, the beautiful game of basketball to our listeners so uh, without further ado um, today's guest yeah uh, so he gave us the the amazing opportunity to to be on his podcast uh, just a short time ago I uh, kicked it talked a lot about basketball talked a lot about the Raptors this guy is a Raptors genius fanatic whatever you want to call him Stan, <laughs> Stan. <laughs> uh, he knows his Raptors and he's very yeah. very smart so um we are very honored to have him on Mr. Samson Folk from Raptors Republic how you doing man I'm doing great and thank you for the very flattering <laughs> intro fellas it's uh, a joy to be here talking hoops with you guys again I thoroughly enjoyed our last episode and I'm excited to see what we get into on the fadeaway podcast with Terrence Davis <laughs> and Fetty Wap. <laughs> yeah, I, I heard you giggling there in the background. You were trying to keep quiet, but I, I'm, I'm appreciative of the support uh, for the nicknames. I'm, I'm I'm getting a lot of a lot of flack for them, man. I'm running out of cool ideas, so I'm I'm glad to hear you like that one. Well, yeah. If you guys want to hear something that I do that is just a little tidbit, you guys are probably aware of the quick reaction that Raptors yeah, Republic yeah. does. You can tell outside of my name being at the top of it, but every time I do a quick reaction at the top, you'll see a sentence or two of pirate jargon. So, like, <laughs> whatever type of pirate words that you can think of, like, avast ye, legger louts, we beat the pirates, like, something like that. So, and maybe four people have noticed, because everyone just goes down to the grades, but when those four people yeah. did notice, like, did you guys notice there's pirate <laughs> slang no. up there? It makes my day. That's too good. And I have to research it before every yeah. single one, because I got I to gotta keep it fresh. I got to keep it no, new. Those, uh, those little innuendos are obviously always hilarious, and especially when people pick up on them, it kind of puts you in like a, a position you're like, damn. <laughs> like, I can't believe they kind of saw that, but that's hilarious. Mm-hmm. Now, we definitely know, know what that's like for sure. Um but yeah, man, let's uh, let's get to talking a little bit about um, sort of just around the league, around the NBA. I know when we were uh, on on the rap cast, we we did talk a lot about the Raptors. Yeah. So um, on ours here, we we like to talk about just what's going on around the league to give everyone like a high level overview. Um, obviously, you know, this past weekend we lost um, an NBA legend is really a, a small way of putting it. Uh, rather like a very very large understatement yeah. to just call him an NBA legend. So uh, Kobe Bryant passed this past weekend. Uh, him and his daughter Gianna and seven other passengers on a tragic uh, helicopter crash. Um, so before we get into the podcast, because we did talk extensively about about what that loss meant to the to the league and and you know what his legacy is going to be moving forward, we just want to hear from you, somebody who's a basketball junkie what this what first of all what kobe meant to you and what this event meant to you as well 
That's yeah, that's an interesting question for me because I was I was always not a LeBron guy, but between the two of LeBron and Kobe, I always sided with LeBron and I was never a Kobe fan. But when it happened and anytime I watched Kobe, there's a beautiful artistry to his game. I think I was one of the people who looked at his game and thought, oh man, there could just be a little bit more because I saw that not only was he capable of being one of the best shooters in the league when he applied himself, one of the best dribblers we've ever seen from a six foot six, six foot seven guy, an incredible post game. I, I don't know how many all NBA at nine or 12, somewhere in between there, he ended up getting an incredible defender. Everything on the court, he was so great at and so gifted and some people had you know their their qualms about how he decided to play how he rejected some of the the future thinking basketball and wanted to live in the mid-range and whether it was you know terms like ball hog or glory hog something like that were thrown around I probably would have been in that that category of a Kobe fan never deny him how great he was but always wanting a different version of him. And when it passed, when he tragically passed away, that kind of all sat at my feet to feel that way about Kobe Bryant for so long. And that's not even getting into the -the off-the-court stuff, but just on the court, I had to reckon with how I had... I didn't appreciate the -the on-the-court stuff as much as I should have because there is a beauty to his game that three or four players maybe have ever reached the climax and the peak that he was able to provide, and especially his second act, which looked so promising. I, I've i been much more appreciative of the man and the player in the past couple days, and I think I'll continue to be going forward in my life and all when I watch Kobe highlights and when I watch the things he was able to do with a much uh, rose-colored glasses would probably be the thing, but I... For me, I was never a fan, but I still think it's one of the craziest things that's ever happened. I talked about this on the Raptors Republic podcast and that this is the biggest sports star death, one of the biggest celebrity celebrity deaths that's ever happened in that I don't – with the NBA players, we expect to see – and Shaq echoed this sentiment yesterday. We expect to see the heroes on the court off the court the nba has done a wonderful job of providing you know ambassadors in that way and they live a long time in the nfl usually the heroes they die off quick it's a rough league it's tough but the nba we see the guys finish their lives with so much grace bill russell jerry west guys who are immortals in the nba we still see them today we expected the same thing for kobe bryant and maybe in a more impactful way than anybody before because of his demeanor his intellect and the way that he composed himself and just understood things outside of basketball, the way that he was so omnipresent and thoughtful when he was considering his own legacy and the way that he went about crafting it and tending to it. he His contributions off the court could have been unbelievably big, and I think that's the saddest thing about it all. But as a fan, I missed out a little bit in being unappreciative of his game at the time and now hopefully just with how I feel about Kobe Bryant on the court just trying to enjoy the clips and the the greatness a little bit more but that's that's how I feel I yeah, think that was perfectly said and I, I actually relate to a lot of what 
you were saying Kobe wasn't my my favorite player growing up or my favorite player when I first started. You just I, I wish I do I do wish I appreciated his playing career a bit more and watched more especially now we you know you look in hindsight and we lost him so early and stuff like that but i want to get a, a, into a bit about you more so with with your basketball career you said kobe wasn't your guy who was your guy to maybe start you up and and, and get you to fall in love with the game and how much did you play how far did you go um and how did you enjoy like play, playing the game yeah i i loved basketball i was a small town saskatchewan kid for most of my life to this point, and that meant that I was involved in hockey. And, you know, I played pretty much everything, soccer, hockey, badminton, lacrosse, basketball, what, whatever high school sport they threw at you. I, I was interested in and I played, and my favorite basketball players were Steve Nash was the first. I mean, <laughs> every white kid in Canada <laughs> clung on to Steve Nash, like you, like you wouldn't believe, right? He was such a big figure, and, and still is. He's a... He shows that a white kid from Canada can come and yeah. do his thing and be in the league. And he was not athletic no. either. Athletic for a person, but not for yeah. an NBA player. It's using your brain, being a good shooter. So I loved that. Luol Dang, <laughs> for some reason, Luol was Dang. one of the first people in my life. I loved uh, Luol Dang. Shout out but, to Dan, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, <laughs> and DeMar DeRozan was my guy. Since he got drafted, that was... That was when I really, the 2009-2010 Raptors is when I started to watch basketball yeah. a lot, NBA basketball a lot, and that's when I started to shift away from shift away from hockey and baseball and having to choose between higher-level baseball or high-level basketball and choosing basketball, and mostly because my older brother, who loved basketball his whole life, he, you know, he went after playing club basketball I got introduced to a couple scrimmages. I got asked to play a little bit. That led to opportunities playing in the States as a teenager um, at Gonzaga University. You guys will know Kelly yeah. Olenek, Demonis Sabonis, John Stockton, David Stockton. Kevin Pangos uh, Those play players come from there. Yes. Yeah, yes, yeah Kevin yeah. Pangos. I, yeah, I got to hang out with uh, Kevin Pangos and David Stockton, and that was I played two summers there at different tournaments and ID camps and stuff, and that probably took me the farthest in my basketball knowledge and my ability to play basketball, and that David Stockton taught me how to run the pick and roll, and, you know, David Stockton, son of John Crazy. Stockton, who who better, yeah. really, besides John? It was a cool experience, and just lucky to be able to play high-level basketball with guys from eastern, or it should be western Ontario, Manitoba, Saskatchewan. We put a team together that went and played in the States, and then afterwards, just playing high school basketball, but relatively limited because it is Saskatchewan. The, mm -hmm. the hoops out there aren't super great. And then getting a few a few offers to come play, not a full-ride scholarship or anything like that, but a little bit of money to come play hoops in whether it was Olds is a small, I guess, university in Alberta or the University of Alberta or the Medicine Hat University. Different, different places offered um, letters of intent to play there. I originally signed with Olds because I think that's where I wanted to play the most. And I was going to take a sports business class, but I ended up breaking my hand. I got nerve damage in my, I guess it would be my second or fourth metacarpal. I can't remember which way it works in as far as the kidneysiologist, but 
I I have no more feeling in that finger on my shooting hand. I got a big scar and a metal plate in my left hand now, and you know that kind of that took away my shot for a little bit, and that meant that there were there were no hoops, and I just ended up going to the University of Saskatchewan, doing some some schooling there, and now now I'm here writing about basketball. But that's 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 my story, I would think. And now now I play a little bit down here. But how about you guys? What do you do for hoops? Well, first of all, that's crazy. I didn't know that all of that like yeah uh, in terms of going to play in, in Gonzaga in the summer and meeting all those cool cool names and obviously getting to learn from guys who played at a high level but also have you know like you said with John uh, John's son you know parents who are NBA legends and so you're almost getting a bit of that that mindset as well so that's really cool man and sorry to hear about the injury as well it's tough always hearing that stuff. oh man it's yeah, cool it's I wouldn't. I wouldn't have gone anywhere with it, and now I write, and I I enjoy this job <laughs> so much. It's a it's a cool Absolutely. thing. Now with us in terms of basketball, um, Zade's much better than I am. Uh, so the, I've always played like recreational basketball growing up, uh, mainly because parents were you know came here immigrant mindset, not really aware of of the whole business of you know you can play a sport recreationally while also balancing education. So I was kind of like I always tell them I was the guinea pig. Because my sister got to compete and Bro, she played. She's a hooper, uh, man. Yeah, she played yeah. a pretty high level and she could have gone somewhere, uh, but she obviously had her eye on academics, so chose to go that route for sure. But uh, I didn't get a chance to. But every time I played, I was known or am known as the shooter. I just shoot threes, man. I I, I like drove in one time in like tenth <laughs> grade, and I stepped on somebody's foot. I, I tore ligaments in my ankle, and ever since then, I've just been anti layups. Like I, and then. Everyone laughed at me, and now look at analytics. Like everyone, I'm, I'm the future of basketball. <laughs> I called it from when I was 15, 15 years old. I was like, "Yo, layups are a waste of time. Just learn how to shoot the three. Everyone laughed, and now look at the look at the shot chart in 2020, baby. That's so funny. It's, uh, so yeah, but uh, Zayd can talk about sort of his experience. Same, same idea as yours. Your parents immigrant mindset they don't really believe in playing. I remember, I remember my coaches used to have. I, I played a little bit of, of rep at a very low level. And I remember the coaches literally had to like talk my mom off the ledge for me to play, yeah, because she did not want me to play, showing me like go work like Tim Hortons or something. Yeah, yeah. You either work or you're you're, you're studying. So, uh, other than that, just playing um, on a very low rep team in high school, stopped that great after grade ten, and then just playing recreationally. We play, we've played on numerous teams together yeah. in, in, in our community leagues. Had a big win yesterday. Yeah, big win. Uh, big we, win we, men's league. Yeah, so we, yeah. We, we pulled that one out. But yeah, now we just play recreationally. We, we do this, we watch. Yeah. And that's how I'd we say keep it we, going. we've been like big basketball fans since we were kids. Uh, I We didn't get into this aspect of being a, this big a basketball fan in terms of really dissecting the league and the game and, and watching, you know, patterns and offensive schemes and defensive schemes mm-hmm. and different, uh, different sets and everything like that. We didn't really get into that till. I'd say a few years ago, yeah, uh, until recent times. But always had a love for the game of basketball. Always wanted to be, you know, just I don't want to say like Mike because legitimately it was like Kobe. Yeah, like I Kobe. wanted to be like Kobe. I wanted to be like LeBron. And you said it in in your early on um, when you first answered your Kobe question. Like I was a huge LeBron guy. I was such you, a big LeBron yeah. guy that these guys got when we moved out to university. Because they and I had lived together for for university, and they, these guys got me a trash can. This is how much they hated <laughs> me for loving LeBron. They got me a trash can with LeBron's face over it. 
from the from Dollarama. And it wasn't it wasn't like we edited it. It, it, it came was like legit. This. Like they purchased it from Dollarama. Miami Heat, LeBron with LeBron. It was the trio. It was yeah. Chris Bosh, Wade, and LeBron. And they thought I would, you know, get triggered. But this was my favorite garbage bin. It's still in my parents' house right now. I used to play because it was it wasn't like. I don't even know what the material was, but it was like it was a good it. size one. It was a really like basketball friendly garbage can. So I used to throw a lot of paper into that and I had my fair of fair share of good times. But yeah, not never got a chance to obviously go to Gonzaga in the summer yeah. and speak, <laughs> speak to all. legends. Uh, it was it was definitely I had to pick ditches, man, to to save up for it. Sure. My dad, um, student counselor, so Decent money, uh, aggressively middle class, I would say, and uh, but to go and do that, those types of trips, I just remember doing. I, I think we ended up doing maybe forty kilometers of picking ditch because in Saskatchewan they save those types of opportunities for teams that are saving up right. for something, and I'm pretty sure you get a thousand dollars from the government for every, or not a thousand dollars, a hundred dollars, sorry for every kilometer picked. And so we picked, I think, 40 kilometers worth of ditch and between my brother and I. And we had another guy from our town, Michael Burham, who's one of the best shooters I've ever seen in my life, um, but tore his ACL in his last high school game, didn't get to play college ball. And yeah, yeah. But I just remember doing that with my dad and having to wake up on Saturday mornings and you couldn't really enjoy the weekends because we were picking ditches. But when it came time for summer and we were all driving down into the States and getting to do all that kind of stuff, that was when it was cool as hell. And that was, yeah, it was a cool, it was a cool thing. I'm very happy to have uh, experienced that. But thanks, thanks for asking me that, guys. I've never talked about that on a, on a podcast before. No worries, man. Honestly, we just like to really get to know everyone that we're speaking to. I think it's cool to have that personalized aspect yeah. as well. So everyone listening kind of Knows. relates yeah. at, at, to something, right? Um, one more thing before we get into the nitty gritty, Sam. How did you find your way to Toronto from Saskatchewan? I I live in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. I don't know if you guys knew that. I actually but had no idea what the yeah, hell? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I live in uh, I live in Mexico, and I I don't know why. I I had a podcast before this. That I did a few episodes, and Zarar Zarar heard it and liked how I sounded, and um, as far as starting with raptors republic i i went to toronto to meet with blake murphy about writing on staff and last year um i was in toronto as well for games and stuff and this year i'm making another trip as well um in the next two years i expect to live in toronto and be covering the team full-time but um yeah i do i do this all from mexico and that's why most of the stuff i write is analysis based or talking about sets and breaking down the game rather than stories and features based on quotes and stuff like that that's crazy yeah Puerto Vallarta okay how the heck did you find your way to Mexico that that's what I want to know now because I was like yo come to Toronto from Saskatchewan cool but you're in Mexico that's crazy man how did you how'd you find your way there well it's interesting right you guys are bringing up that that immigrant parent thing and how it affected how it affected you guys growing up when I was going to university and even to now all my best friends are immigrants whether it's a leg from Burundi, Christian from Rwanda, or um, Alve from the Congo, Tendo and Ben, my guys from South Africa, SA. But those are the guys I hung out with, and all these guys spoke a second language, sometimes a third. 
And growing up in Sturgis, Saskatchewan, I felt quite inadequate that I only spoke English. And speaking Spanish, I think, is cool as hell, so I wanted to learn about that. And after having that conversation with Blake Murphy, after going to Toronto and talking to Blake about coming on staff and writing for Raptors of Public, and shout out to Zarrar for bringing me on, because Blake, we had an interview planned, and then Blake suddenly signed a contract with The Athletic, and that meant he wasn't affiliated with Raptors of Public anymore. And Zarrar said, yeah, that's cool, man, come through. So (laughs) thanks, Zarrar, for that. But to live in Mexico, it's cheap. I get paid through a Canadian company so I can still maintain a travel visa with the Canadian passport. And it's I think it's a good opportunity for a writer. I knew I wouldn't be able to rely on quotes. Even if I moved to Toronto immediately, there's still some hoops to jump through to get fully credentialed right. to go to games and all that. And writing for different publications, etc., which is something I have to do when I visit Toronto to cover games. But it's to live cheap, to really give writing a chance because it is a risky, it's a risky market. It's a risky business to try and jump in and just be a writer, a sports writer especially. So I wanted to live in a place that was cheap and affordable and that I could work from remote and also learn another language and enjoy the the culture and enjoy the weather. So it's been an enlightening part of my life and it's been enriching and I met one of my best friends ever down here, Beto Rosado, and he is the biggest Kobe fan I've ever met. It's been the tough days for him, so shout out to him, but I'm going to play basketball with him later tonight. And I know he listens to the podcast, so I'll send this one over to him as well. So let's get into the Milwaukee Bucks, formerly nicknamed the Milwaukee Sucks, currently the furthest away from From that. that, The furthest away from that. So um, Milwaukee had a great season last season. Uh, they blew everybody out. They won 60 games in the regular season. Giannis was MVP, 27 and change, 13 rebounds, 6 assists. All great. They relatively didn't struggle at all in the first couple rounds of the playoffs. They blew through Detroit. It wasn't even competitive. And then I believe they also blew through Boston in was it five or six games. I can't really remember. But then they they came to Toronto. And they blew Toronto out the first two games. Well, blew them out the second game. The first game was a little bit closer. But took a commanding 2-0 lead. Um, and obviously, game two being a blowout, they they did take that momentum with them. And then they come back to Toronto, and, and a defensive adjustment is made by Nick Nurse, and it almost takes Giannis sort of out of the series, uh, and obviously resulting in Raptors winning four straight games, taking the series 4-2. And then we see in the summer a lot of teams making those adjustments against Greece. Obviously, when you're playing in Greece and you're Giannis, the focus is on you, and I understand that. Uh, but we see a, a bit of the similarity in, in making that adjustment that sort of takes him out of the game. Mm-hmm. But right now, the Milwaukee Bucks are the number two offense in the NBA. They're the number one defense. They're number one in net rating by a complete mile. Uh, by twelve, I think they're like 12 points, and then the second place is like seven six and change so by a complete mile they're first in that rating they have the number one record in the league they've won 41 of their 47 games and this is cool to me they're actually the number one team in the nba in terms of pace so they are the quickest team in transition they're running the court running the floor and they're blowing teams out all while having players averaging 30 minutes and less i'm gonna talk to zade about this one first on are you a, are you sold on Milwaukee, given everything that we talked about their playoff was last year, 
uh, but the way that they look right now. Where where do you stand and how do you feel about Milwaukee? I'm sold, but I'm still a little bit careful. I think they're all the the numbers you just said and the stats and all that. They just it just proves that they're a, a juggernaut. But just what I like is just how they're built, how they were built last year, honestly, and how they're built this year. Last year, their issue is they just kind of never really faced any sort of pressure or any sort of adversity. I know we had um, Steve from Milwaukee on uh, a couple months ago, I believe it was, and he yeah. talked about like how, and he was a Milwaukee native, and he talked about how there was never any adversity for that team to face. Now they face that adversity. Giannis learned what it's like to be essentially taken out of a series in a way when you have a, a coach planning against you for seven games. And I think he's learned that he's going to have to evolve his game and adjust his game. And you see that with the way he's worked on his three-point shot. A lot of teams are giving him that shot. And he's not maybe making it at a high clip, but he's making it at a better clip than he was last year. And he's willing to take that shot. But I just go down the roster, and I just love how they're built. Brooke Lopez has been there for a few years. They brought in his brother as a backup big. Great. George Hill, who's... Averaging what fifty percent plus from three, it was uh, on, on the season. I, I honestly don't know as of today, but he, he should be. Who's, I'll double check. Right so now. George Hill, he's been putting up amazing numbers for them, and and, and has been a, a very good player for them. You also bring in Wesley Matthews, who his career kind of was almost revived in a way by being on this Bucks team. You know, he's a great three and D guy. Obviously, you have Giannis, you have Dante G, uh, DiVincenzo, who has been a great role player for them. Ersan Eliosova, who I've always seen him, and I'm, I've never been convinced on Ersan, but somehow he always gets buckets. He's one of those guys who just gets timely buckets all the time, and you never really know how he does it, but he does it. Like I said, Robin Lopez has been added to the team. Pat Connaughton, who's a great role player as well, a great hustle guy. Kyle Cover, you go down the list, Kyle Cover, Chris Middleton, who dropped 50 the other night. Yeah, when I want to talk, talk about Chris shortly, but just to your point, George Hill is 51.1%. There you go. Like you, so they've done a great job of – and then you have Kyle Korver. Uh, you know, they've done a great job of surrounding Giannis with the players that he needs, with the shooters that he needs. We've learned kind of over the last few years that if you have a guy who isn't a great shooter but is dominant inside and is dominant all everywhere, everywhere else on the court, you surround him with the shooters, you're going to have great success. And – even their bigs can shoot. Brook Lopez, we've seen, he's what, Splash Mountain, they call him, yeah. right? So just the way they're built is great. The way they're coached is great. Coach Bud is a, is a phenomenal coach. Now I just want to see how – it looks like they're the best team in the NBA, obviously, and in the East right now, the way things are stacking up, I don't really see them having an issue beating all the top contenders, the Miamis, the Sixers, the Raptors. So I'm I am sold on them. And I would just love to see how Giannis comes out this playoff season and, and, and how he does. Um, Sam, if you want to chime in as well, go ahead. Yeah, I got lots of stuff to say about the Bucks and Giannis and what have you. It's you bringing up how well they've constructed that roster around him. Totally. And that roster makes so much sense yeah. in the regular season. In the playoffs, the pressure cooker that that is, usually you need a second guy, which is why the Raptors... I wouldn't predict them for the finals this year because Pascal Siakam is incredible, but he really profiles as a guy who would, if he were on Milwaukee, because he's better than Chris Middleton, he would be an incredible running mate with Giannis Antetokounmpo. And all throughout history, whether you know before the age of super teams, what have you, it's, it's interesting to watch how teams were built, but most teams had two guys. 
most teams had too. It was it was very important to how teams won. And Milwaukee not having those two guys really does show itself in the playoffs, I think. And that's not something they won't be able to overcome. I'm sure they can. But in the regular season, having this litany of 10, 11 guys who can all run and shoot from the corners and play defense, and they rely heavily on two guys pretty much in Giannis Antetokounmpo and Brook Lopez. Giannis for everything that he brings, and Brook Lopez to play really, really good drop defense in the pick and roll. And for all the other players to fit in and be plugged in around those two, I think that's what makes the Bucks work. What happened last year in the playoffs, for example, you see, what was it, Giannis, in the four games that they lost against the Raptors, the four straight, I think he shot 48% or below from the free throw line. And that's Giannis, oh. A, it's really difficult and that's something the Raptors' defense, even this year, is really good at doing. They give up so many threes, a historic amount of corner threes, as we know if we've been following the team. They give up a, a, a historic amount of corner threes. But they're not getting killed from downtown. Why is that? The Raptors' defense relies on making players out of rhythm shoot shots. You want the guy who shoots 37% on wide-open threes that the team is relying on to be out of rhythm, and you want him to be the release valve for the team that the Raptors are playing. That's how they've played their defense. And that guy in those games is usually shooting around 25 to 30%. He's not hitting the threes. Is it risky? Yes. Did they need to take that risk to stop Giannis in the playoffs last year? Yes. Did Giannis acquiesce to what they wanted? Absolutely, because Giannis started bricking from the free-throw line, and he knew... He knew, and that, that changed everything because they built the wall. And that's, everybody talked about the Raptors building the wall against the Bucks. Totally, yes. But just because they built the wall didn't mean they weren't fouling him. Every time he ran in, he still got fouled. But he started shooting free throws at such a horrid rate that he stopped actually going in. And was it still bad that his teammates weren't making the open threes provided? Totally. But the Raptors based on his weakness at the line, they figured him out, and that's why they were able to win four straight. And that is something that Giannis and the Bucks will have to overcome this year. Yeah. And uh, I agree 100% with everything you said, especially about building the wall and and just the effect that Marcus and Serge Ibaka had on altering Giannis's game, making him uncomfortable, making him look like, you know, for a long time, Giannis was always that frail, skinny kid that came out of Greece and then he kind of blew up, right? He became super, super strong, super athletic, really, really talented. But for the first time in a few years, I saw the Raptors bring him back to that kind of the scared little yeah. sheltered um, Greek kid who just came to the States to play basketball for the first time. So it, it's really cool to see them do that. And, and like you said, especially like giving up the corner threes and, and just learning your opponent's weakness and, and just playing to that with them. It was fouling him, putting him to the line, making him earn his points. Uh, if there's one, you know, black mark on Giannis's resume this season, it's the fact that he's shooting 66% from the free throw line. Mm-hmm. You know, he's shooting almost 58% from the field, uh, 30 points a game, 13 rebounds. All that stuff is, is really good. But then, 66% from the free throw line when the game slows down in the playoffs could be a risk. But, Sam, you glossed over Chris Middleton a little bit. I, I think so, too. And I, I want to bring that back because I want to I ask you both something. So there's only been ever eight players in the, in the history of the NBA in the regular season to hit the 50-40-90 club. 
And Chris Middleton is on pace right now. He's 50, 40, 90. He's 90 exactly on free throws. Um, there's been only four players ever in history to do 50, 40, 90 while also averaging 20 points per game. Chris Middleton is averaging 20 points per game on 50, 40, 90. And he's also playing 28.8 minutes a game. So, is talk to me because I previously to this season and actually previously to a month ago because just you a month ago I traded Chris traded Middleton him. in fantasy for <laughs> Shea Gilgis-Alexander. I do not regret that trade. It's a keeper league. I won. Shout out to George Habib. You're not going to get Shea back. But I've always been on the fence about Chris Middleton just because, like you said, he's not really the number two option that I want on a championship team. But is there a chance that he could be elevating his game this year just based on the way that he's playing, that we could see something different? Uh, Sam, I want to start with you and then go back to Zaid on this one. Yeah, that's credit to you. This is a great job of interviewing for you to crawl that back. I think show it to you because that's that's something I would want to do as well. I did gloss over Chris Middleton, and it's because of the way I view him as a player is that he is in his idealized role and the reason why I glossed over is because he did not do a very good job when teams, the way they play the, the Bucks, put him in a non-idealized role. He shrinks a little bit in that pressure cooker. But in the regular season where the Bucks get to play their system, and there's a reverence for the system that Mike Budenholzer has. We even saw it in the playoffs last year with Giannis hardly ever eclipsing 35, 36 minutes a game in the Raptor series. It was absurd. It seemed insane to everybody around that, but that's the way the Bucks play. They play their system. In that system, Chris Middleton kills it and should not be minimized that 50-40-90 is a hell of a club to be in, uh, going to join the, the Hall of Famer Myers Leonard as well. Um, <laughs> but I, Chris Middleton is a really, really great player. He's so good as a third or fourth guy because he does hit the marks of really good one-on-one defense. Not as good as it was maybe two or three years ago, but really good defense. In the concept of the team defense, really good there as well. Hits his open shots, and every once in a while can go on the block on the weak side, make a team pay for a blown rotation on the back side. We see it happen with the Raptors quite often. If Terrence Davis and Rondé Hollis-Jefferson are supposed to be rotating, sometimes they'll switch indiscriminately and that leads to something bad on the weak side a guy like chris middleton would would punish the raptors if he gets terrence davis on him instead of ronde for example but and that's important and that's good to have in a tertiary option i just don't think there's enough in his bag and maybe to bring it full circle to kobe a guy who made a killing in the mid-range and a guy who could go anywhere on the court and score at every level of the defense that's what you really need in the playoffs and that's what I think the Bucks really struggled last year because not only was George Hill in an idealized role, he's got to be at the rim or he's got to be from downtown. Chris Middleton, Giannis Antetokounmpo, everybody is in, ideal, in an idealized role all season. And now when the, the matchups change and the schemes change, they kind of have to squirm and morph into something new. And not everybody had the skill set for that, whereas the Raptors, Last year, they were changeable, they were diverse, and they could morph into different types of offense at a different time, and luckily could rely on Kawhi Leonard to do so. But Chris Middleton, I think, is the perfect role player, and that is probably a little bit slanderous because he is better than that. But 
I just mean that he is he embodies a three and D guy to the full extent, and he's hitting all the marks at the highest possible peak. But I don't know how much he can step out of that role when the Bucks need, say, a true second guy. But that's that's probably how I feel about it at the end of it. Honestly, now looking when I look at look at some of the playoff stats from at least the Toronto series, and you mentioned how Chris Middleton shrinks a little bit. You look at the last four games. He kind of did shrink a little bit. Minus 13, minus 17, minus 8, minus 2. And he had he had one 30-point game, uh, I believe it was, in game 4, it looks like. And then the rest was 9, 6, and 14. So yeah. not so much success. He does shrink a little bit. But I don't want to give him all the, all, all the slack. I do think it's also up to the coaching staff and Coach, Coach, Coach Bud to put him in a situation where he's successful. Because you look at Giannis. Giannis shrunk too, essentially, against the Raptors' defense. Now, it's interesting that you talk about role. I kind of want to get into something else. Derrick Rose, he's been balling out this season for the Detroit Pistons. He's coming off the bench, and he's oftentimes leading them in scoring. And he's just he's just playing like an all-star. He's an all-star Cabo player this year now. Obviously, his, his talent is kind of going to waste in Detroit just because that team is probably going to start rebuilding. You know, Blake goes out with that season-ending injury. Mm-hmm. Andre Drummond is a free agent at the end of this year. So, you know, who knows what they're going to do. Now... Sam, I'm going to give it to you. Where do you think D-Rose should go? Should, should, do you think he should... I, I'm not sure if he'll request a trade, but if he were to be traded, what team do you think should pick him up? And how do you think his role would be if he was on that team? Yeah, it's interesting what he wants for his future. I have no idea. But if you're looking at the Pistons, the way that their roster is currently constructed over an aging... But fantastic. I love Blake Griffin. But an aging Blake Griffin an undervalued Andre Drummond, and a balling out of his mind, Derek Rose. He's, yeah. he's been fantastic and looks to possess that, that it thing that allows a guard to get to where he wants to on the floor. He, it was a bit of a, I guess, a, it was, it was, he hit a high watermark with his three-pointer last year for sure. It's not a there again this year, but mm-hmm. definitely serviceable. And he's been he's been really good at getting to the rim. We've seen this if if you watch the Raptors play them. The Raptors always struggle with small guards if Fred VanVleet isn't on them. Derrick Rose got loose a couple times, and I guess that's yeah. that's the next game. Kemba too. Walker reminds me. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. The first thing I thought of when you said that is Kemba Walker. <laughs> yeah, totally. And yeah. if Fred isn't on them, they typically can get loose. But outside right. of that, where should he go? What should he do? I hate to be that guy because I really dislike when people angle everybody towards the Lakers yeah. but, but watching the Lakers get hamstrung against all the top defenses because the top defenses are able to neutralize a lot of their favorite sets right. whether it's with LeBron as the linchpin or Anthony Davis doing a really good job of getting the ball in the hands of a Contavious Caldwell Pope or a Rondo instead of the main two guys good mm-hmm. defenses are able to do that and Derrick Rose for a defense is a lot scarier on the weak side mm-hmm. or at the point of attack than a guy like Rondo or Contavious Caldwell-Pope. And the, I think the Lakers, that's what everybody was talking about prior to this year. Nobody knew LeBron was going to be this good. People thought LeBron was going to be good. But we saw him last year. We thought maybe maybe this is the downhill slope of his career. Yeah. Apparently yeah, not. He's been fantastic. Not He's been out of his mind, but yeah. there's a clear dependence that the Lakers have on him that is so – it's just so large. Even their minutes with just Anthony Davis are not working out as well as they probably would have hoped. 
They need another initiator, another playmaker, and another scorer. Otherwise, teams in the playoffs, and especially the Clippers, I don't know if that's what they're looking towards, will be able to mitigate a lot of what they like. And they have to have somewhere else to go with it. And I don't know what they have to give up, but Derrick Rose probably, they're probably looking at it really hard, I would guess. Yeah, and you nailed it right on the head, Sam. And I want to give, no pun intended, I'm trying to give D. Rose his flowers right now. I get it. Rose, uh, I, flowers. I get yeah, it, Dad. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No? Okay. Well, last 15 games, he's putting up 23 points a game. Yeah. Uh, predominantly coming off the bench. He did start a few of them. Yep. Uh, but predominantly coming off the bench. Uh, in his, I believe, the last, it's a 12, 12 straight now, 20 point per game yeah. streak. 14 of his last 15, he got better than 20 points. I mean, you guys all nailed it on the head. Ironically, Zayda sitting in front of me with a Detroit Pistons shirt on right now. Yeah, because we went, we went to a Pistons game. Uh, it was Black uh, Friday, American Thanksgiving. Yeah, Black Friday. Uh, we went to a Pistons game, and he had to get some gear, so he's sitting here in a Pistons jersey or shirt. It's a, it's a fire long sleeve, bro. Talking to me nice. about how trash the Pistons are, but every time I talk <laughs> about the Pistons, I, I take a little bit of pride. I'm not gonna lie, in them being poor because of who their coach is, <laughs> and the remarks that he made about our fan base last year and our franchise last year. Um, so take that, Dwayne. Dwayne. Um, but D Rose, man, balling, balling, balling. I like the Lakers, but hear me out on this one, guys. I would love to see him coming off the Sixers bench. Mm. Right now, their their backup point guard is Felipe Neto. Neto, uh, and then I believe they're also running another another backup point guard. But the fact that I can't Wait, remember Felipe him is, Neto isn't it round guy? Raul, you're right. You're right. Not Felipe. I was looking. I was like, Felipe doesn't sound right. Raul Neto is coming off their bench uh, as their point guard, backup point guard. And then Trey Burke is getting some run as well. There's no disrespect to these guys. I'm sure they've, you know, made their own names in the league. But if you can have a scorer like D-Rose come off the bench, take some of that scoring pain off of Ben Simmons. Obviously, Joel is back now, so he's going to be taking some of those minutes. But Man, I would love to see him come off Philly's bench. Not only is he going to give them that scoring power off the bench that they don't really have, but I think that D Rose's attitude and D Rose's demeanor is very Philly. It's very dog pound Philly. And for the little irony in this, his big injury happened in Philly when he was on the Bulls. So it'd be mm-hmm. like a nice little uh, sentimental place to to maybe want to come back and play stronger. I don't know. That's just me speculating, but I think he would really be a good fit for Philly and I, I just want to see him go somewhere where he can benefit I mean right now he doesn't have too much time left in his career he's sort of reaching the tail end of his prime um, this is just a really really good season I'm happy for him uh, his per 36 numbers are 25.4 8 uh, 8 assists a game off 50% field goals and the reason I bring that up is uh, those were on the minutes he was getting when he was an MVP, yeah. and the numbers are better. Obviously, per 36 is not the whole story, uh, but it gives you a little bit of insight to just the sort of season that he's having. So shout-out to D-Rose. Uh, what do you guys think of that uh, the Philly thing? Do you see it happening, Zayn, or do you see that being a fit? It just depends who they're going to give up. It, I don't think they have many pieces to give to the Pistons or what the Pistons would be looking for. I mean, what are you going to give up, Korkmaz? You're going to give up Neto? You're going to give up Mike Scott? I don't think these are guys that the Pistons would definitely would would would, would be interested in. Uh, honestly, but do I, you see I, it fitting? Like, uh, I, forget the pieces. I kind the of trade. don't see it fitting only because Derrick Rose isn't that great of a three-point shooter, and I think they really, really, really need three-point shooting. And then what are you going to do when you have Joel Embiid, Derrick Rose, and Ben Simmons 
on at the same time. You have a ball handler and Tobias Harris, and well, Tobias Harris at least can stretch the floor a bit. But when you have two ball two ball handlers that are Derrick Rose and you have Ben Simmons, if the ball is in Derrick Rose's hands, Ben Simmons almost becomes unusable because he yeah. can't stretch the floor and he can't really post up because Ben because uh, Joel Embiid will be in the post. So when you have those three guys on at the same time, which is what you want, especially at the end of a game to close out a game, and that's going to be your your your, your that's going to be like your your firepower is going to be all within those three guys plus Tobias Harris, like you said. It kind of doesn't fit just because of the way the spacing is. They're having a lot of trouble with spacing. They're having a lot yeah. of trouble with, and, and everyone's saying, "Oh, get rid of Joel Embiid or get rid of Ben Simmons." I think they can still figure it out if they add a shooter. Yeah. But as far as fit goes, like Sam says, I don't want to be the guy to point to all toward the Lakers, but it kind of just seems like the Lakers would be the only contender that would fit. I mean, the Bucks could really maybe use him as, as uh, coming off the bench. That would just kind of add more firepower for them. That's, that's too unfair, though. That's what I'm saying. You know, it, <laughs> it's too, too unfair, unfair for the league, but I, I mean, but I mean, George Hill has been playing so well, so I don't know if you want to give up anybody from the Bucks. So for me, it would look like you would want to do a deal with the Lakers. Lakers ca- can give you maybe some young assets. I don't know if they would give up Kuzma. I don't think that they should give up Kuzma. But yeah. it, they are in win-now mode, but they should also think about post-LeBron when AD takes over. Sure. So as far as fate goes with the Sixers, I don't really see it happening. Um, Sam, if you want to just chime in quickly on the fit with the Sixers yeah, idea. Sure. As far as um, I just want to address the Kuzma thing first, as far as trading Kuzma for Derek Rose, I think that's a bad idea. Yeah, Not because I revere Kuzma. I actually am very much on the Kuzma is not all that he's made out to be trained, but yeah. that's neither here nor there. But having a guy like Kuzma... His size, it looms large for playoff series because if LeBron's not guarding a guy, Kuzma's going to have to guard a guy. That just happens when when you go into those types of series. That's what happens when you play next to LeBron. You're going to be put into an awkward position because of his all-encompassing style of play and the way he fits not normally into lineups. Like He's playing as a point guard right now. It, yeah. He's never going to take the number one option, not really for a full game. So having a guy like Kyle Kuzma available who can shoot who can provide some offense coming off the weak side for the lakers but also seven eight minutes of defense on a Kawhi leonard in the playoff series that might be really big because contavious Caldwell pope would get eaten alive by Kawhi. and i know kuzma is not a defender but at least he has size and size is useful especially when you're the same size as the guy you're defending in a team concept that's useful and so if they trade kuzma for derrick rose you're trading a guy who could put a couple minutes on Kawhi for a guy who won't ever be close to guarding Kawhi. And stopping Kawhi is going to be a big part of getting to the finals, I think. But with the Sixers, and sorry I took such a long way to get here, it definitely <laughs> no it makes sense. Um, I think that, the like Zaid said, it's important for spacing. I think that the Sixers, I don't know, last year, I think they cut the legs off of their team by trading for Tobias Harris and maxing him instead of trading for... Danilo Gallinari for even less. I think that there was a better trade on the table there, and Gallinari is marginally marginally worse or marginally better than Tobias Harris. Yeah. He's incredible. Yeah, yeah. I think he was probably the guy for them to get, especially with Embiid and um, Butler and Simmons. But regardless, I, I Derek Rose, it depends on how they want to play. I picked the 76ers to win the title this year. That's, that's wow. how much I think that that Horford, Simmons, Embiid, Harris, Josh Richardson, I think it's going to be such 
a menace defensively, and I have nightmares about how tough it was for the Raptors to beat them. Embiid is big time in the playoffs. So I think Derrick Rose makes sense, A, because the 76ers are going to be such hell for any team to go through defensively, and they just need to get points any way they can on the other side. If Derrick Rose had been on the 76ers last year playing like this, they probably don't lose that series, even though they were short on spacing, even though they're short on spacing, even though Jimmy Butler didn't shoot well. Jimmy Butler's ability to get buckets at times, two-pointers, even on 44% shooting, whatever it ended up being, that was huge because the 76ers are so immense defensively. If they can get any buckets on the board, and Derrick Rose can certainly do that, I think that's that's valuable. So, yeah, shout you, Fetty. I think that's a good idea. Um, I hope they can get them. It would make the playoffs more interesting probably. Yeah, no, absolutely. I agree 100% there. Uh, let's let's move north of the border. Let's talk a little bit Raptors before we uh, before we wrap this up. So last night, Marcus Saul left the game, did not return, hamstring issues on the same leg. Uh, I personally have not read any injury reports on this, so I, I'm not 100% sure his timeline of return or the seriousness of the injury yet. But I want to ask you, Sam, with this being the second injury to Gasol's hamstring, with him being 35 years old, I'm not 100% confident about his health heading into the postseason, whether he can be durable. Uh, Like you mentioned, I think about that Philly series, and I have nightmares because I always think, like, this team had Danny Green and Kawhi, mainly Kawhi, and it took us a Game 7 miracle shot to beat Philly. Yeah. What happens if we face them this year? They got even bigger with Al Horford. And um, I think the Josh Richardson pickup is such an underrated move yep, for Philly. Yep. That starting lineup is is incredible. With Josh Richardson, Ben Simmons as the, the front court. Thanks. And then the back, or sorry, the back court. And then the front court being Tobias, Joel, um, Joel and Al. Like, yeah. just a stupid high IQ and and talk about length and size so it really does scare me from that perspective uh, but do you think that Gasol's health will withstand in this playoffs or are you a little bit worried given that this is the second tweak we're in the second half of the season and he's not a young guy anymore well I'll, I'll say this as a bit of insider information there isn't too much worry about Gasol's tightness of the hamstring right now within the Raptors organization they, well, at least that's what the the murmurs are. That's what the sure. the the take is. And same the with talk of the town. Yeah, the talk of the town. So, but it is a little bit concerning. Obviously, it's the same leg twice on a guy who is I don't know three hundred pounds. I don't know how much yeah. Marcus always, but and that's not even out of shape. He's just a massive human being. I mean, he carries a lot on his body because you know it. His body necessitates weight to to move him around, whether it's muscle or a bit of paella, whatever it ends up being with Marcus All. But I think I I skew towards optimism most of the time. So I'll probably skew towards optimism here. I think that the Raptors, if things start going south with Gasol, would probably just choose to rest him. And we've seen the Raptors show an incredible ability to to use the back end of their lineup to get wins. And the Raptors have a pretty easy schedule for the rest of the year. So Getting to the playoffs, I'm not so worried. Within the playoffs, if things start getting really hairy, they start going seven-game series, seven-game series, and if they get into that third round and he's playing, I don't know, north of 34 minutes a game, maybe that does get a little bit crazy. But 
if if they're playing, it depends how fast they play, I guess, how much up and down he has to go, and how what type of pick and roll coverage he's asked to play. For example, if he's playing the type of pick and roll coverage that they played against the Golden State Warriors, where he's hedging on a guy like Steph Curry, and shout to him, he did a fantastic job mm-hmm, in the yeah. times that he did. But if he's asked to do that in series over series over series, I don't know. But I don't know. I haven't been I haven't been with him and his trainer. And I, I hate to to cast dispersions on his his conditioning, but it's you know a recurring injury is is worrisome. But I'm going to skew towards optimistic. I think they'll be all right with this one. Yeah, I think they'll be all right as well. It just I think it's going to depend on his essentially a load management for the rest of the season. I, when I look at his minutes played, they kind of vary between some games he'll play 25, some games he'll be above. A lot of the games he'll play, he'll be above 30. Which is, I guess, at his age, I, I expect him to play 30 minutes, but I think for the re- remaining portion of the season, I think they probably bring that down to 25 to 30 just to kind of keep him healthy and keep his legs under him, but not maybe be too taxing onto his legs. Now, as much as we love Gasol, I think there's one more Raptor that we wanted to talk about. Last night, I believe it was, Kyle Lowry passes Jose Calderon for all time assists for the Raptors. And I think I messaged Fatty last night. I'm like, hey, man, um, Larry seems to be making a very, very, very good case for greatest Raptor of all time. And I know we don't give Larry much love on this podcast, but as... Come on, don't don't paint that picture. That's what we do. That's what we do. We're just realists. But over the last couple of weeks, we've been... Growing very, very fond of Lowry. Sure. As my, even yes. though you requested, you you um not requested, you suggested a trade for <laughs> the for, a, for a, yeah. uh, you suggested a trade. <laughs> However, Sam, greatest rappers of all time. Where does Lowry fit into that? He's How do you judge one. it? He's number one. There's no yeah. question. I yeah. I'm gonna. I wrote a Hall of Fame piece in the summer mm-hmm. about Kyle Lowry. So you guys are talking to an unabashed Kyle Lowry fan, <laughs> and I'll read you the last paragraph from that piece, and I think this season just makes it better. But, quote, Peugeot, the company that makes cars, may not be referred to as often as the creation of the wheel, but the legal fiction that is Peugeot, the limited liability company that it operates as and was created as, had massive implications for how business would operate going forward in the ever-changing economy. Lowry has tediously chosen the parts of his game that he wants to represent himself going forward, mm-hmm. and they've all been terrific barometers for where the NBA is headed. He won't ever be referred back to like the Wheel or LeBron James, but he has a place in the NBA's history the same way Peugeot has in our human history. Kalo has done everything in his power to elevate himself to Hall of Fame status, and when the time comes, I hope he's recognized as the player he's always been. You could just take that and you could apply it to the number one Raptor of all time. Whatever argument mm-hmm. you want to make, Kyle Lowry is a non-ironic galaxy brain operating on the basketball court. You guys can look at my tweets from the timeline of last game. I was kind of showing him a lot of love, but the way he reads the game in real time is unbelievable. The way that he's applied his skills to this offense and helped form and shape the Raptors system over the past how many years just being the best player on the Raptors for most of the time that he played there. And I say that yeah. as DeMar DeRozan being my favorite player ever. Yeah. And his ability to adjust and adapt around Kawhi Leonard and around DeMar DeRozan and now around Pascal Siakam while also being yeah. able to assert himself in different moments and then getting the chip with 11 straight yeah. points in yep. Game 6. That is my guy. Kyle Lowry is the greatest Raptor of all time. And quite frankly, I don't down. think it's close. 
No. And it, it would be very not just disrespectful of us to to dispute that fact, but mm-hmm. that is how you lose credibility in the basketball world. Yeah. Like I think if if you do not firmly believe that Kyle Lowry is the best Raptor in history, it's just not a conversation I'm willing to have. And and I told Zay this last night. He's already made the case. He's secured that case and and flew it back home. Like the case is done, it's mm-hmm. it's over because of that championship, because of that ring. Yes, we had Kawhi, we had whatever you want to call it. Kyle Lowry was here from day one, from yeah. well not day, not one, day one, but day but one yeah. of the decade, if you want yeah. to say that. He came in via trade. He was gonna get traded. He was gonna go and like. It was pretty much signed, sealed, and delivered that he was going to be a Nick. Yeah. And he was going to go to the Knicks, and it was done. He was checked out. They don't want to talk to DeMar. And then they they kind of get together, and they realize, okay, this might be home for a little bit. So let's let's kind of work together and see what we can do. And then they trade Rudy Gay, and then that was the start of the era as we know it now. So like you said, the second best player for the most part, but even then, there were a lot of times uh, – the difference, I would say, the bigger difference between him and Demar that I like Kyle Lowry better for is when Demar is off, he's really off and he's negatively affecting his team. Like there's been a lot of times in the playoffs where Dwayne Casey had to pull Demar and keep him on the bench mm-hmm. because you know we're just playing better without him. No matter how Kyle Lowry's playing offensively, if he's one for ten, if he's ten for ten. He's going to have those eight, nine assists. He's going to be making plays. He's going to be playing exceptional defense. He has that heart. So, yes, DeRozan was that guy. He was the flashy scorer. He was the the guard, the all-star starter. Larry was an all-star right there with him. Maybe yeah. he wasn't starting. He started the one year, but Larry was right there with him. We give Larry a lot of flack because we want him to be so much better, so much more consistent. This season is a very different story. Mm-hmm. It really doesn't apply, but – He's had his fair share of playoff woes. Let's not forget that. It is Kyle Lowry. But to say anything against the fact that he is the greatest Raptor of all time is is how you lose credibility in the basketball world, in my opinion. And it's not only that. You talk about him kind of comparing him and DeMar DeRozan. What I also like, like about Kyle Lowry is just his leadership and the way he's been able to lead this team. I don't think DeMar DeRozan was much, as much as a vocal leader and even – you know, you kind of followed Demar based on his actions, but Larry has both of those things: the vocal leader. He, you, you follow how he rolls. You, you've seen how he's been able to mentor young guys like Pascal, Norm, Fred VanVleet, and lead this kind of second generation of of Raptors in a way. Um, just very quickly, I just want to spit out some accolades for Kyle Lowry. Kyle Lowry was All NBA Third Team 2016. He's a five-time All Star. I hope he gets six this year. All-time leader in triple doubles for the Raptors. He is the all-time leader in three-point field goals, all-time leader in assists. Just yes, uh, just yesterday, all-time leader in steals, and obviously you have the coveted NBA championship in 2019. So, like you guys said, Lowry's number one. Who is number two and number three, Sam? Oh boy, um, I, I wrote a big piece. It was my first piece I ever wrote for Raptors Republic. It was before I was even on staff. That was waxing poetic about Vince Carter and looking into visitor attendance when he was traveling to other stadiums and the attendance of the Raptors in those early years and how Vince Carter may have kept that franchise alive, which allowed for Lowry and DeRozan to thrive above the border, north of the border. Vince Carter is 
everything, and maybe Lowry's rise now does, for a lot of people, diminish what DeMar was doing because they were seen as a mm-hmm. team for a long time. And since Lowry's having the success sans DeRozan, maybe that seems to diminish what DeRozan did. But for me, DeRozan's number two. And wow. I, I just, I'm I'm a bit of, I told you guys before the pod, or during the pod, actually, um, DeMar DeRozan, my favorite player of all time. I love DeMar, his willingness to try and grow this system. And a system that was built on Kyle Lowry, by the way. Kyle Lowry was the best player on those teams every single year. DeMar had fantastic years. The third team All-NBA year was obviously awesome. The crazy start to the the 2017 season, the 40-point games, 30-point games, that was awesome. He had incredible highs. I love DeMar. I love his game. But I think it was Kyle adapting in those moments. But DeMar, for me, the way he took on the city, the type of ambassador he's been, the type of man he's been, is is way bigger than than almost anything else. He So many... So many Raptors fans have memories of DeMar, and that's how you build one of the greatest players ever, I think. And we're far removed from Vince, but there was a long time where people really disliked him. And I think, you know, they, they kind of retconned it and made it seem like it was the the front office's fault once that front office was gone. And they're like, Vince actually did nothing wrong, but that's probably not super <laughs> true. And uh, Vince is third, man. I think it's also kind of poetic to have... Lowry and DeRozan one and two. That's a one-two punch right there. Always, mm-hmm. even though they didn't win together. That's that's my top two. I think. Man, I like that. That's a good top two. It's a good way to. It's a good way to wrap it up. Sam, thank you so so much for your time, man. For coming on, blessing us with your your wisdom. We learned so much about you today, and it was honestly it was very refreshing. So thank you for coming on and. And uh, just like you're reciprocating that for us. I know we got a chance to be on your podcast, but to have you on is really special. So a special thanks from the two of us here. Yeah. And uh, to our listeners, uh, we will be coming back at you next week. Uh, if you guys want to check out Sam, his name is uh, Raptors Republic is where you can find his podcast. It's on the website. And I believe it's Sam Folk on Twitter, S-A-M-F-O-L-K-K. F-O-L-K-K. But if I can interject, I just want to shut yeah, you guys out. Yeah, please do. I... You are both top five. I love I love chopping it up with you guys. I feel like we can have a conversation about all types of all types of basketball, oh, and it's it's been really fun. And thank you for you know indulging me in, in my own life and, and making this a really really enjoyable interview. So thank you very much. I've in t- I've enjoyed my time on the Fadeaway Podcast for certain. My man, yeah. well, we're glad to have you on anytime. And if you want to come back, chop it up anytime. Actually, shout out to you. Actually. That reminds me. I want to shout out one person specifically before I get into the other. Mm-hmm. Nick Tutsel. Shout out to Nick Tutsel because he actually put us in touch. And I didn't shout him out on the Rapcast, and I felt really bad about it. But shout out to Nick. He put us in touch together last year uh, when I had reached out to him because a friend of his and I are coworkers. Uh, so shout out to Nick. And shout out to you because after our podcast, um, I heard you mention this name a couple times. But I actually reached out to Louis uh, Zatzman. Mm-hmm. And he's going to be coming on the podcast, too. So we're pretty excited to have him on and and just uh, get to know him a little bit better, too. So shout out to all you guys. And, and honestly, everyone I've encountered at Raps Republic has been super dope. approachable and, and dope. So thank you guys for being being what Toronto's all about. Man, Lewis is my guy. So that's, that's very nice to hear. I hope you guys yeah. have a good episode with him. 
you gotta you gotta text us some like little things to like oh, jab I definitely at him or can. to joke. I can <laughs> definitely do that. Yeah, actually, we'll, we'll do that off air so we don't give him the hints. I'm probably bunking with him when I'm in Toronto too, actually. So yeah, yeah. oh I'll okay, I'll have cool. some stuff, some inside stuff for you guys if you want to spring right. it on him. Yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah. That would be cool, man. But uh, thank you so much again. And uh, just like we said, our listeners, we're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere you find your podcast, you can find us. And uh, we'll continue to try to bring you guys the best content. Thanks for supporting and, and for all the feedback. And we'll come at you guys next week. Peace. Peace.